This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Lots to get to today. Got to talk a little bit about uh, Major League Baseball canceling more games. Not great going on there right now. Got to talk Timberwolves. My goodness, I was at that game on a Wednesday night. Uh, really good seats in the audience this time. Not just a not just a member of the media with with my friend Anthony and Jim and uh, Chris. And we had a good time just watching the Wolves. It was uh, they they put on a show. Of course, you know this is the time of year where a lot of teams uh, are disincentivized to win. And I don't think uh, Oklahoma City was necessarily. Uh, putting out its best lineup, but Malik Beasley, 11 three-pointers in that game, setting a team record, and I believe setting a record in the NBA for most points in a game for someone who only made three-pointers. He made 33, had 33 points, 11 three-pointers, did not make a single two-pointer. I don't even think he attempted a single two-pointer. So we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, got State Representative Pat Garofalo on the show today to talk more about sports wagering, the new bill introduced uh, earlier this week in the legislative session, and where we go from there. But first, what did I miss? Got to spend a little time talking right now at the jump about Kirk Cousins and what I think his trade value might be. Now, we might get into this a little bit tomorrow, too, with Andrew Kramer, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. He should be on tomorrow's show, kind of setting up the new league year, which is coming in just a few days, uh, uh, coming next week. So he and I might get into that a little bit na- a little bit tomorrow too, but right now I want to get into wh- what do I think is, you know, Vikings are, they, they have to be thinking about a Kirk Cousins trade or at least exploring it. I saw Jason Lockenfora from CBS Sports um, kind of getting into the mix uh, with, with some some information on that, he tweeted the other night that uh, he said, "I continue to hear from NFL executives that the Vikings are eager to move big contracts and reset their cap slash payroll. A Kirk Cousins trade would not surprise me at this point. Still, plenty of needy teams. QB would they would need QB to extend contract. Stay tuned." Interesting thought there, not necessarily surprising, um, but you know maybe if he's got some intel on what the Vikings are trying to do, gives us some intelligence into the direction they might be heading in 2022. Um, but it shouldn't shouldn't be a surprise. It's absolutely the correct move that they should be at least exploring a Kirk Cousins trade, given, like I said, what happened with Aaron Rodgers. If he's there, the division becomes much harder to win in 2022 and possibly beyond. You just saw Russell Wilson get traded, kind of setting a, a certain market. Teams that missed out on Russell Wilson might be eager to get back in that mix. And then you saw Carson Wentz traded to Washington on Wednesday. And that was a big move to me because I think that established a floor for Kirk Cousins' trade market. Uh, Wentz going to Washington, Washington giving up. Um, two third-round picks, and one of those thirds can become a second if Wentz plays, I believe, 70% of the snaps in 2022. And they also swapped second-round picks in 2022 with Washington moving up slightly in that case as well. So some interesting, you know, I feel like that sets a bare minimum floor for Kirk Cousins, a second-round pick and a third-round pick coming back in a trade because I think I would make the argument that Kirk Cousins is a more attractive quarterback than Carson Wentz, but you might see it a different way. Wentz certainly has 
more upside, I would say, has a higher ceiling than Kirk Cousins because he's younger, because he has played at a higher level um, for stretches. Um, But what I think keeps him down, obviously, is he hasn't played all that well in recent years, um, and he's injury-prone. So you've got that piece of it. So that's what I'd say in terms of what is Kirk Cousins' trade value. If the Vikings are going to move off of him, what should they get in return? To me, the bare minimum is a second-round pick and a third-round pick. I think they can do better than that, honestly. I think they can get a second-round pick and a second-round pick or maybe a first-round pick and a third-round pick. I mean, that was kind of the, if you're looking for what I really think. But if they do end up trading him, um, and again, I think that's, that's certainly possible at this point, what they get for what they get, what they get for him will tell you something about you know, A, how eager they were to trade him, and B, what his value really was. But to me, um, you know, find a team. There's a lot of them out there that still need quarterbacks. Pittsburgh needs a quarterback. Carolina needs a quarterback. Cleveland could sure use a quarterback. There's a lot of other teams that could be, you know, could be jumping into that mix. Indianapolis, um, which just traded Carson Wentz, could be in the market for a Kirk Cousins. Washington obviously was not going to be a destination for Cousins because they already had Kirk Cousins. But Interesting, too, though. Let's finish this segment with uh, with this thought. Uh, Trader beware. Saw this paragraph in wa- in uh, ESPN story about the, uh, the Wentz trade. Uh, Washington owns the NFL's worst total QBR since the 2018 season, and its 71 touchdown passes in that span also rank last. That's a big reason the team has gone 24-41 and 41 in that stretch. 2018, obviously, if you remember, is the marker when Kirk Cousins came from Washington to Minnesota. So once Washington made that move, they have been looking for a quarterback ever since and have had the worst quarterback play, at least by two significant metrics since then. So keep getting reminded by the by, by what Brad Childress said on the podcast a month or two ago. said, if you don't have that guy, you're always looking for that guy. So you got to have a plan in place if you are going to trade Kirk Cousins, but I do feel like right now there is an opening, there is a market, and I think um, the Carson Wentz trade only helps clarify what you should be able to get in return. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Happy to be rejoined on Daily Delivery by Pat Garofalo, state representative in the Minnesota legislature. Um, Interesting happenings this week. Busy time for you, uh, Pat. Lots going on. But in particular, you have been at the forefront of the push to legalize sports betting in Minnesota. And there was uh, quite a bit of movement with bills introduced earlier this week. And not just bills introduced, but seeming like there's some momentum from a lot of different directions, maybe more so than the last time we talked six months ago. So, well, first off, welcome. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for having me on. Always happy to talk about one of my uh, favorite topics. Yes. And uh, like 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 I just said, we, we've got some momentum here. How did, you know, since the last time we talked in August, September, whenever that was, how, how did we get to from, you know, that point where there was, you know, some some movement towards, you know, some interest in this to now where, you know, there's legislation and it sounds, you know, pretty optimistic from a lot of the key stakeholders? 
I think it's really been a continuation of the trends we've already seen. We've seen more states legalizing it. So now a majority of states in the country have a safe, regulated sports gambling environment. We've seen sports content continuing to integrate more uh, more of the sportscasts are integrating sports gambling information and content. Uh, consumer acceptance is growing. People really like it. And Wisconsin is now has in-person sports gambling. So all these things are just adding to a, a cumulative momentum to go forward. And the, the current bill that is in the House of Representatives uh, just yesterday had a vote in the Commerce Committee. It passed on a 14 to 4 vote. So there was bipartisan support, which is what it's going to take for something to happen. Uh, that, that being said, I was wanna, always want to temper our optimism. It's a long way from a bill passing out of committee to it actually getting signed into law. We are taking a billion-dollar black market, and we're converting it to a regulated industry. And when you do that, this is essentially government deciding who's going to make money off a of legalized activity. People can expect there will be fights. There will be conflicts. That's what happens in the lawmaking process. And so the case I've made to both my Democratic and Republican colleagues is, hey, if, if you have problems with the bill, highlight it. Say the things that you don't like that you want to see improved, but then vote for the bill to continue it through the process. Because voting against it, that doesn't solve the problems. It just kills the legislation. And so I'm hoping that in the House of Representatives, Maybe as soon as this month or next month, we'll be able to pass a bill off the floor. Uh, I hope that my Senate colleagues, both Republicans and DFLers, whatever version they pass, that they have that same collaborative process. And then this bill will get into a conference committee where the House and Senate um, members can, can negotiate a compromise to make this happen. So that's a, that's a long way from here to there, but that's sort of the pathway that I would like to see it follow. And yesterday was some, and this week has been some good news. Now, one of the things that you and I had talked about, you know, previously is that, you know, there's a lot of different moving parts in this. There's a lot of different constituencies to to serve um, the teams, um, obviously the uh, American Indian Gaming Association, a lot of, you know, different, different, different moving parts. As you have talked to them, it, it does seem to me like there's momentum on on that side to, to get this done. Is that see, does that is that accurate to you? There's definitely momentum, and yeah, that's the easy part. The hard part is figuring out the specifics. And I'll just I'll highlight for th your listeners three issues that I think they should be watching to that are likely to cause the most concern. The first is what is the legal sports gambling age going to be in Minnesota? Most other states have it at 21. The current bill has it at 18 years of age. And there are arguments for why it should be 18 or 21, but people should know that as much of an enthusiast as I am of sports gambling, there are legitimate documented issues with particularly young men who are 18, 19, and 20 years of age being overconfident about their ability to predict sports gambling, getting into financial trouble really quick, and having some pretty severe impacts in terms of uh, mental health and even attempted suicides. And that group of individuals, men 18 to 20, are at a significantly higher rate than others. So that's the first issue is what is that age going to be? Um, the current tribal casinos in our state are at 18. So having that separation causes issues, but that's going to be a conflict to watch. Uh, second issue is going to be over who is able to uh, 
partake in the business of mobile sports gambling. That is partnering with your fan duels, your Caesars palaces, uh, draft Kings. Who's going to, who are the entities that are allowed to do that? The current house bill says that a hundred percent of that activity will go through tribal reservations. There are other individuals who feel like they should have some or most of it, but not a hundred. That's an issue that needs to get resolved. And then third and finally is what is the regulatory structure that takes place? The fees that are paid, who's overseeing this? What are the rulemaking? This is sort of the nuts and bolts of uh, legislative you know, of lawmaking. Those are the three sort of big issues, but there are hundreds of other issues that need to be resolved still. You know, what, tor- what sorts of parlays are allowed, con- sporting contests, background checks, authorizers. It's a, I mean, we're literally creating a regulated industry. So it's, there's a lot of other things to be resolved. But those, those three issues I highlighted, those are the ones that I think to keep an eye on. You, you, you got some models, though. Like you said, Wisconsin has legalized it. Um, Iowa has had legalization for a while now. As you, you know, think about how they've done it, will there be some similarities? Can you look to them for, for some sort of guidance and, and how you would regulate things here if, if we got to that point? Absolutely. And I'm someone who I wanted to see us legalize this four years ago when the Supreme Court overturned it. I thought there was an opportunity for Minnesota to be sort of a a technology and data services hub for this business. That didn't happen. But the good news is that by allowing a majority of states to go forward before us, we can learn from their mistakes about what works, what doesn't work. So I'll give you one example. In other states, when people have set up mobile accounts, some states have required that a person has to physically go to the casino or the setup office to verify their identity. They can't do it mobily. And that is a dramatic impediment in the market. And so that's something we're not going to do in Minnesota. It's not in the current bill. And that's the, the right thing for, for us to do in terms of market design. Uh, but other than that, you know, copying what has worked in other states, avoiding sort of the disasters of New York and Philadelphia, or excuse me, Pennsylvania. That's, those are lessons that we can learn from that. But there are very unique aspects to the state of Minnesota's gaming environment that we will have to customize in a unique way. But generally speaking, we don't want to be an outlier. We don't want to redesign the wheel. We should be copying as much as we can from other states that, that is working. I was... I'm surprised, I guess, that there's mobile betting in the bill. Obviously, that's a big piece of the the revenue, but I just I wasn't sure that that was going to be something that got into the bill. Uh, was that to you? Was that kind of a a must have or a, a a need to a need to to push it forward? Or, or were you? Is there a, an element of surprise to you that that is that 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 piece of it has? has gained acceptance and is in, in this version, at least. Um, I wasn't surprised by it because it is, it's where the vast majority of activity takes place. North of 80% is mobile sports gaming in terms of the market design for what that looks like. It's still under construction and we'll, we'll see where it goes, but it just made sense. Um, a couple of years ago, I introduced a bill just to say, Hey, let's just have land-based casino. Let's just have land-based sports books with no mobile. And candidly, the reason why I did that was just to gain more legislative acceptance around it, that this is an okay thing to do. 
um, the intent was always to have that be a baseline for getting mobile sports gambling allowed as well. And as other states have done it and other states have tried doing the land-based model, they've quickly converted to allowing mobile. So it's a, it's a smart move. It's the right thing to do. It's where the future is. There's some, there's some legitimate tug and pull between the bricks and mortar casino industry and what's going to be happening in the area of mobile. Um, these sites, they make big investments in a physical destination and getting people to go there. And so anything that incentivizes or provides options for people to engage in this activity while staying home, that can be problematic to some. But that being said, I think it's, um, it's the right thing for sports gambling, and it's certainly what consumers want in Minnesota. Now, like you said, plenty of things to, uh, to, to sort out still going, going forward. Um, you know, for people who you know, haven't followed this all that closely i mean i think people look at gambling revenue and say well it's a you know, it's a big it's a big slice of money is you know but you've told me in the past this is more about regulating the industry than it is about money what you know as you've studied other states like what what would the potentially like tax revenue coming to the state of minnesota or to, to other places what what would the how much money are we talking about once everybody you know once the you know once the casinos have made their money, essentially, what, what, what comes out of it? Well, of course, the short answer is it depends upon the, the structure that we put in place. But for purposes of answering your conversation, I'm going to assume that we have a, a mobile environment, that we have a low tax, low fee barrier to entry for operators to get involved in that. Um, the important thing to remember about sports gambling is it is a high volume low margin business. So for example, in the state of Minnesota, I think it's fair to say that a conservative estimate is that in pretty short order, we would take in uh, at least $2 billion in sports wagers in 12 months. So $2 billion. The generally accepted model around sports gambling is that these sports books will make about a 5% profit margin. That is the, what's called the hold that's the money they actually make off of wagering. So if you assume a $2 billion handle with a 5% hold, that puts you at about $100 million in uh, gaming profit. Now, we have not de- we're not talking about deductions, expenses, promotions, but if you assign a 10% uh, tax on that $100 million, you're looking at uh, $10 million in potential revenue to the state without including fees without including uh, other assessments. But that is a very, very low estimate. The state will get more than, we, when it's fully mature, it'll be more than $10 million. But that's not the primary focus of doing this. The state of Minnesota, the government of Minnesota has way too much money right now. We got billions of dollars in surpluses. So the real benefit to people is number one, having consumer protection so betters don't get ripped off. Number two is defunding organized crime. And then third and finally is making sure that we have law enforcement resources focusing on more important activities than a, what is really a, a victimless crime. Gotcha. Where, so you've, yeah, I think you outlined some next steps, you know, kind of as we talked a little bit earlier, but you know, what's, what's the timeline of all this? Like what's the, what's the soonest, you know, we could see this actually like voted on. And then even if it passed in, you know, in, in some form, 
you know, this year, what's the timeline from there to actually getting this up and running if it was, you know, if it did became a law? Right. Well, this is where we want to make sure that your podcast listeners are not driving and perhaps doze off because I'm going to get into something less interesting than sports gambling. I like the weeds, though. I like I like when you get in the weeds. (laughs) This is the this is the legislative process side of things. How a bill becomes a law. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, this is injunction. Junction. Let's go. Hey, yes, you got it. Schoolhouse Rock. Uh, I'm just a bill, just a lonely old bill. So what happens is this bill passed its first committee in the House of Representatives yesterday. It needs to go to six additional committees and have it pass out of all those areas. Then it has to get scheduled on the House floor and passed off the House floor. Right. So that's those are all the things that have to happen. Then that process has to get repeated over in the state Senate. So as we're moving through in the House, I would hope the Senate will begin taking action instead of waiting for the bill to formally come over. That process then goes through the committees in the Senate and it passes off the Senate floor. At that point, we will have two different sports gambling bills. And again, this is all, there's no guarantee this happens, right? Maybe maybe the bill gets killed in committee. Maybe the Senate doesn't take action. Maybe we adjourn. I don't know. It's all these things are very subjective. But once you have a different bill in the House, in the Senate, they assemble what's called a conference committee. It's a small group of legislators uh, selected by the House and Senate, and they work out the agreement. They work out the differences in terms of addressing each other's concerns, listening, the art of compromise. And once that conference committee report is adopted, the House votes on it, the Senate votes on it. If they both pass it, it goes to the governor and the governor signs it. And so that being said, you can go through all this work, do all these things. And if the governor vetoes it, you go back to square one. But if we're able to reach a bipartisan agreement on it, I'm pretty sure that I don't want to speak for the governor, but I'm pretty sure he would sign it. So that is a very long way of saying we've got a little bit over two months to do this. And we need to we need people who are advancing the bill, working towards resolution instead of the sort of attack vector, polarized politics, partisanship, we see too much of at the Capitol. So that's, that's, that's the process that needs to be followed. And we do need to get moving here at the same time that we're working on important things like gas being over $4 a gallon, a massive budget surplus to cut taxes, making sure that we solve some of the public safety and education problems, you know, having, having, um, the Minneapolis school district, um, teachers union go on strike this week was not helpful. Um, that just adds another burden to us. And so these things don't happen in a vacuum. Um, and then, of course, talk about, not to pivot on you, but talk about bad timing. The day we announced the press conference that we're moving forward on this, Calvin Ridley of the Atlanta <laughs> Falcons gets suspended for a year because he you know, put down some multi-team parlays, an NFL player bet on football. And that is just so extremely frustrating that, the, I mean, like nobody in the NFL is that dumb to think that they should that they can bet on NFL games. So that was not helpful. But that being said, we'll, we'll go forward. If you were to bet on this, which you probably shouldn't, uh, do you? Does this get done in in the two months that you you referenced? I think so. Um, I think so because it's something Minnesotans want. There's really no benefit to waiting. Um, it just it's op- opposing if. Again, if you're somebody who's morally opposed to sports gambling, 
Uh, I, I get it. You're going to vote no, but this is something most Minnesotans want. The professional sports teams, they want the additional fan engagement. It's something that uh, stakeholders who are in the gaming industry and elsewhere want to see happen. It's something the states around us have done. Even Canada's done it. So I would say that we're, we're a slight favorite. But that being said, you know, there are other more important things we need to work on at the Capitol. And politicians get, they get a little bit scared when they're working on things that, that they'd like to have happen but don't need to happen. You know, it's far more important that we, we have like a multi-billion dollar business tax increase that's going to kick in next week. And it's really important that we address that before we do some of this other stuff. And if we fail to do that, it kind of takes the, it, it, all these things are integrated together. It kind of takes the wind out of the sails. So I'm optimistic, but as Minnesota Vikings fans know, there's nothing more dangerous than a little bit of optimism. So we'll see. That, uh, we'll see how it goes. That is for sure. Uh, so I don't want to overstep the optimism, but it, you know, if, if this does get done, is there a timeline from there? Then that you know, I'm sure people are wondering, like, hey, if this bill passes, like, how soon can I legally bet? How le- how soon could I legally bet on a game in Minnesota? Yeah. So hypothetically, let's just say that we got this passed in May, right? Yeah. the The sports betting operators, the Fanduels, the Caesars, the DraftKings, they can have it up and running by the NFL season. That's that's they they've done this in other states. It's really plug and play for them. They can really get moving. Uh, that's on the mobile side. There's really no infrastructure that needs to be developed. Uh, the question is going to be how fast government can move. And so the current version of the version of the bill that um, Chairman Zach Stevenson is carrying in the House, he does have some expedited rulemaking in there. I suspect that if it got passed, people would be like, let's do this yesterday. Let's get going. So I think we could get it up and running by the start of the NFL season. I think if everyone really worked fast, that being said, if it didn't happen, I think we could get it up. I I know we can get it up and running during the NFL season just might be, you know, later on in the season. Wow. That's faster than I thought it would be. I thought I was thinking it would be into 2023, just the pace of, I'm just used to a different pace, Pat. I'm used to a different pace of Minnesota government. So I I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that does sound, that sounds fast. Well, I mean, and keep in mind, it's an election year, right? So people are going to want to demonstrate they can get this stuff done. And we're not, we're not redesigning the wheel here. Um, So the, the limitations would really be what government, how government was able to get moving and get things done. And so there's a big incentive for the operators to be up and running by the NFL season. College football, NFL football are sort of the biggest revenue generators. Um, that being said, if government were to move slow or new problems arose, it could certainly be delayed. But I, I hope that this summer, that's the thing we're complaining about, is that our new legalized sports gambling bill is not up and running yet in Minnesota. I hope that's the problem we have. Um, so for right now, it's just making sure that we just continue the process forward, get these bills in the, get this bill into a conference committee and then work together uh, and compromise on getting a good bill done because the status quo doesn't benefit, doesn't benefit anyone but the black market in the state of Iowa. That's really all who benefits from the current situation. And Minnesotans, um, they want this. They're seeing it in their sports content. You look at something like the Bally's network. They've got a sports book now, Bally's bet. So it's clearly where the 
things are going and we've kind of sat on this for four years. Let's get moving and make it up. Sounds good. Pat Garofalo, always enjoy checking in with you. Good insights today. Help think, you know, you know, you might've done more in two minutes to kind of help listeners and even myself kind of refresh how a bill becomes a law. So I appreciate that as well. <laughs> well, again, the legislative process has been compared to sausage making. Like you never actually want to watch it, but at the end of the day, if you like the product, that's okay. And so we have a system that is, it's not designed to make change laws super quickly. And there's a reason for that. So I'm hopeful that uh, the most important thing is, is that legislators are working towards resolving these conflicts as opposed to throwing sand in the gears and trying to slow things down. And that's really, that's the big issue right now, because there's, there's no defense for the status quo. So let's hope uh, your listeners contact their state legislators and say, hey, whatever it is, just get it done, figure it out, and we can, uh, we can move on to more important issues. Thanks, Pat. Take care. We'll be in touch, I am sure, down the road. Sounds good. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate Pat's time, as always. Um, interesting stuff from him, as usual, kind of giving us getting us up to speed on what the process will be at this point in terms of legalizing sports betting. The biggest thing that surprised me, um, and I, I probably showed in our conversation, was I didn't think this would happen so fast to get to this point, and I didn't think there was any chance that this, you know, if it got passed, that there could be legal sports wagering um, by the time the NFL NFL season starts in six months. That, to me, was a real eye-opener. So we will see where this goes from here, but um, an accelerated timeline for sure from what I was expecting. Major League Baseball, on the other hand, does not seem to have much of an accelerated timeline at all. Canceled another week of games. That impacts six Twins home games. They were supposed to start with I believe Seattle and the Dodgers, that is no longer happening. Um, I guess they could potentially make up those games at some point, but it's starting to get tricky now with two weeks of the season wiped out. Um, Seems like there's some international draft pick stuff was the holdup in this case when negotiations were getting close again. Seems like they've moved, uh, both sides have moved a little bit on some key issues, so I don't think this is a forever problem. Uh, but uh, it's it still, you know, when you've missed two weeks of the season now, that uh, that's problematic to me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of waiting now at this point. I don't, I'm not watching every minute. Just, like, kind of tell me when this is over uh, so we can go back to watching baseball for three and a half or four hours at a time. Let's talk Wolves really quick. Like I said, I was at the game on Wednesday with, uh, with some friends. A good time had by all. Wolves did what they needed to do against a, a depleted and under, you know, not lack of talent, I guess, uh, if flat out say it, uh, Orlando team. But the Wolves look good. Uh, every every offensive possession, like I said, seems like it has a purpose. They dropped, I think, 132 in this game. You know, Malik Beasley couldn't miss from three. It seemed like everybody else contributing as well. So they got one more. In this little stretch, that was six in a row, by the way, six wins in a row for the first time in 18 years, uh, which is amazing to me. But, uh, you know, they got one more in this stretch of easier games. They've got Orlando on Friday, then old friend Jimmy Butler Saturday in Miami, and then things get a little tougher down the stretch. If some of these teams above them would start losing a little bit more, that would be helpful. Um, But right now, I think the most important thing is the Wolves are playing really good basketball and no matter what happens the rest of the year, I feel like they've got something going here right now. 
Let's finish quickly with the cooler. Unfortunately, the uh, the great story came to an end. Minneapolis hockey team loses in the Class 1A boys hockey quarterfinals on um, on Wednesday, four to one to Alexandria. Great season, however, just a cool story. First time in the state tournament in 28 years for a Minneapolis boys hockey team. So congratulations to them on a great run, and uh, hopefully it's uh, one of many more to come. That will do it here today for me. Back at it tomorrow with Andrew Kramer talking Vikings, setting up new league year. What is this team up to, really? What What's the direction of the franchise now that they have had a chance to kind of sift through a few things with uh, new coach Kevin O'Connell and and general manager Kwesi Adolfo Mensa. I'm sure Andrew and I will get into a lot of things that they might do, a lot of things that we think, maybe some things we disagree on as well. So look forward to that on Friday. That will do it for me. Today, I'm Michael Rand. Thanks for listening to Daily Delivery.